Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. We're a mother-daughter duo. And on today's episode, we're joined by a father-daughter duo, Dr. Drew Pinsky and his daughter, Paulina. Dr. Drew is a practicing internist and addiction medicine specialist. In addition to being a New York Times bestselling author, you probably know him as a trusted source of relationship advice from his TV, radio, and podcast appearances over the years. Dr. Drew's daughter, Paulina, is a writer and educator who is the co-author of a great new book with her father. The book is called It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward, Dealing with Relationships, Consent, and Other Hard-to-Talk-About Stuff. Dr. Drew and Paulina, thank you so much for joining us. It is our privilege. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Tell us how the book came about. Well, a publisher approached me. This was uh, pre-COVID, and it was sort of uh, in the middle of a lot of the Me Too stuff. Uh, and Paulina was in the midst of it at Columbia. The, there was a young woman walking around there with a performative art project. Emma Sokowitz. Emma Sokowitz wearing a mattress 24-7 on her back. And uh, Me Too and the issues of consent became very prominent on her campus. And I was aware, well, I'd actually been broadcasting a radio show with uh, Lawrence Vaughn, who was one of uh, Harvey Weinstein's victims, and then uh, later with Leanne Tweeden. And she was, of course... The young lady that uh, the woman that uh, brought up some of the issues with uh, Al Frank Franken. So I was in the midst of all this and I was very aware of how people were thinking a lot about consent and how confusing it was for young people. And when the publisher decided they wanted to do this thing, I was like, you know, I need a young person to be able to really address this properly. And Pauline is a writer. She's deep in this topic. How about we bring her into this? And they went for it immediately. Wow. The topic of consent outside of relationships is so important. And it's nothing that I really remember learning about when I was younger. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious to know, Paulina, is it something that you learned about when you were younger? Or is it something that you kind of had to learn along the way and, and really had to figure out throughout college? Yeah, the first time consent came into my consciousness was orientation week of college, and they were teaching us that consent is sexy, yes means yes, and no means no. Uh, However, we felt that in order to do the topic justice, we needed to take consent outside of a sexual context so that we could really give people and empower people to really think about the concept of consent before they get into a sexual context. And and we didn't want to get into the issues of legal consent or medical consent. We wanted it to be a more general topic for navigating healthy relationships. Dr. Drew, it seems to me as a mom that it's a lot easier probably for parents to talk with their offspring today about touchy issues than it was when you and I were growing up. Do you think that's true or do you think there are always going to be things that are touchy and awkward? There is a natural discomfort, right? There's a natural awkwardness, weird feeling about the conversation that most parents experience and most children experience. Um, But I don't know when you grew up, I suspect I'm older than you are by a bit. But when when I was uh, growing up, there was a massive divide where we, you know, our sort of uh, orientation was these people that our parents cannot understand what we're going through. Mm-hmm. There's no point in talking to them. So <laughs> why would you even bother? Yeah. And and, and there certainly wasn't uh, so much conversation about it generally uh, as there is now. 
So then I think it's super awkward for parents to even try and have a conversation with their kids about sexuality when it's coming up, all these issues are coming up through social media. And Mm -hmm. it seems like it's a better idea for parents to have the talk earlier because social media will beat them to the punch otherwise. Or Mm -hmm. or YouTube or pornography or whatever. Right, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, we're, we're just advocating how to have open conversation, how to respect boundaries, how to trust each other as you enter the conversation, how to have compassion for the person you're talking to, as well as for yourself. You know, as you were saying, it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Now trust, you can take that leap of faith and it'll work out. Okay. It just, yeah. The, The key with parents and children is not so much the content of what you're talking about, but that you open the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it really is about having open conversation that the, that the kids get the information they're looking for from you, that you can uh, overlay a little bit of your values and your, your uh, wisdom, and, and that they'll keep coming back. I have to say that I learned a lot, and I think we had really open conversations after watching you on 16 and Pregnant talking to these girls. It made it easier to have somebody else bring this up. And Mm -hmm. then my mom could comment, I could comment, and it wasn't just an awkward conversation. Having something out there to to point at, whether it's a friend of yours or somebody you know, that you read about or a TV show you're watching, talking about a third party takes some of the heat off a little bit. It gives the parents the chance to convey some of their their feelings and values. Paulina, what do you think young people should do if they want to discuss a topic that is awkward for them? How should they approach a parent? I'm actually going to refer to the text. So how do I ask my parents about sex? And uh, my question would be, does this apply to things other than sex too? Just oh, absolutely. Topics. Yeah. 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 Um, there's always the approach of talking about your friend, right? So my friend at school said blank. Is that true? Uh, or if your par- parent has brought up the topic before, you can reinitiate that conversation by saying, you know, do you have time to talk? I have some questions. Or I wasn't ready to talk about sex before, but now I am. What is blank? Um, and additionally, it also depends on who your parents are, right? So if if there's someone who has already fostered that conversation, it's a little bit easier to reapproach. But then again, if there's somebody who's a little bit more conservative, maybe feels a little bit of shame surrounding sex, uh, we recommend softening them up a little bit with a, <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful for all that you have given me. Um, you've been such a great parent. <laughs> yeah, also, I'm so glad you're my parent and I love you so much. Um, so ultimately, if it feels a little tabooed to approach your parents and you feel like their defenses are going to go up, don't be afraid to butter them up a little bit. Right. And you know, there's the approach of just getting right into it, right? So I know that you believe blank. However, I feel like we need to explore the topic of sex so that I can be fully informed. I want to know more and I trust you. So I need your input. Um, And then of course, it's just like, I already know about blank. Can you tell me about blank? (laughs) Uh Um, But it all depends on who your parents are, who you are and what the situation is. For the parents, a lot of use of words of wonderment, like I'm wondering how you feel about it. I'm wondering what you think about. And also uh, I've noticed that's a very, I'm wondering and I've noticed are very uh, useful phrases 
to enter into open-ended conversations with your kids. Yeah, I noticed that uh, you're not you're you're hanging out more with Bethany, or I noticed you're hanging out less with Susie. Or what's going on there? But you know, just just uh, throw the door open. It's not about what the content is. And by the way, if the if the child asks a question, just answer it. Don't. It's not your opportunity to launch into a big conversation because you feel you need to get that conversation off your chest. Just answer the questions. Check in to make sure you've satisfactorily answered the question and ask if there's anything else you can answer. And also mention, I hope you come back with more stuff and hope you ask me more questions. If the child feels comfortable enough to go to the parent and say that their boundaries were violated, what mm. should the parent do? Should they go to the school? Should they go to the police? I don't know what I would do in that situation. Mm-hmm. It, it depends what had happened, right? Uh, I mean, you, you have to really, without shaming the child or raising the child's anxiety too much, just go exactly what happened. And if it was, you know, if it was a sexual assault, that that goes to uh, some authority at the school and then probably to law enforcement. A contemporary example, I think, of a parent asking questions in a way that feels thoughtful and not provoking or anything is um, the Woody Allen documentary that just came out about Mia Farrow and and Dylan Farrow. Oh, and it's fascinating. Yeah. It, I mean, can't watch a Woody Allen movie ever again. <laughs> I don't right. know about you, but that's where <laughs> no. I am. Totally. Um, no. And, you know, Woody Allen was saying she was being coercive and she's planning ideas, but the video footage shows wonderment, right? Asking questions, uh, clarifying things. And so ultimately, I think Mia Farrow is an excellent example of a parent who, you know, investigated further and then took measures to find justice for her child as best as she could. Um, that whole documentary, I really recommend to anybody who hasn't watched it yet. Um, but I think she's an excellent example of a parent investigating without shaming. One of your chapters I find fascinating. It's called, I think I did something. Now what? That was a hard one to write, actually. Um, we, we were trying to encourage people to come forward and to try to make amends where they've, where they've made a mistake. Yeah. And I think one of the things that stays with me is, you know, the idea of, oh, my life is ruined. Right. Mm -hmm. And ultimately we wanted to make people feel that, you know, a mistake is a mistake and reconciliation is, is important. And we're more of transformative justice rather than punishment, right. Um, giving people options to come forward and really take accountability for their actions rather than just flogging them. Um, because we all make mistakes from big to small. And ultimately we want to give people the framework to negotiate their own mistakes and really, you know, grow from them. If we don't address these issues regarding our modern day cancel culture, what do you think the impact is going to be on mental health in the future? You see these kids who make one mistake on social media and oh, they yeah. have they post one thing that other people don't like and then the school just completely turns their back on the kid and then you get kids who are thinking about suicide and depression. I mean, how can we stop that? We give some do's and don'ts in the book. You know, that was kind of an interesting to put in here, but how do we get, <laughs> I, th I think you're asking about how do we get people to be more humane to one another on social media? And uh, I can tell you that my colleagues that, that work in that space of young people in social media, 
as it pertains to their own kids, literally will only allow their child online one hour a day, and that in a very highly supervised fashion. So the people that um, are really the psychologists that are working the field have grave concerns that this can't be controlled and that it is extremely problematic for young people. I, I think we will one day look at the screens and the phones the way we look at tobacco. Uh, and once we have that sort of cultural shift, then we'll kind of get it under control. Yeah. And Paulina, I think that we were really lucky that we just kind of missed being on social media when we were in high school and everything. It was just becoming mm-hmm. popular. I can't imagine what it would be like now when you see kids who are exposed to it at such a young age. Yeah. A friend of mine who's Gen Z uh, got a Twitter account at age nine. Mm-hmm. And I think because there's such a familiarity with the platform, I think people don't realize the repercussions of Uh, misusing the platform. Like if you grow up with something, it's less challenging, it's less scary, it's less taboo. And the more routine it becomes, the more lax you become. And ultimately I think, you know, I mean, there's so many ways to cyber bully someone, but I think just like everyone is in a highly reactive state right now. And rather than, you know, entertaining compassion, thinking about their boundaries, thinking about what trust requires. Everyone is in that highly activated reactive space and it's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. How do you open up the conversation if you're a parent and you're concerned that your kid is the victim of cyber bullies or you're concerned that there's just too much peer pressure from the social media to to look a certain way or to go to the greatest parties or to go away on a vacation that, you know, is exotic. How do you open up the conversation? It's a little overwhelming because their, they, their existence is on social media now, right? They're very, so, so everything well, is Especially out. because of the last year being in quarantine. Everything, yeah, exactly. is, that's right. Everything is there. So each one of those topics needs to be addressed completely on its own. I don't know about differently, but individually has to be addressed. And opening the door to the conversation is exactly what we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is, man, I, it's everything's online right now. You haven't seen your friends in a long time. That must be stressful. Do people treat each other? You know, I'm wondering if people treat each other well online. Have you ever had to deal with anything? Just that that kind of that kind of open-ended wonderment. I've noticed. I'm 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 interested. I'd like to know more. And just keep keep going. And there's another little uh, uh, trick that uh, if you're dealing with males as opposed to females, uh, males don't like face-to-face conversation. That's a that's a natural phenomenon where the males just don't feel comfortable lining up. Uh, so driving your car side by side is a good technique or doing something with a young male. In fact, my colleagues that, that treat some, sometimes the, the females, and males are so different. They'll only treat males or only treat females. And the ones I know that only treat females, only treat males rather have a basketball court as part of their office. And they go out and shoot, shoot hoops as part of the therapy in order to have the conversation side by side with the male. Uh, females, young young females, another trick is at around nine or 10 at night, the way the hormone fluctuations um, go through the day um, makes them a lot chattier. So sitting down uh, the side of the bed at like 10 o'clock at night going, what's going on? How was your day? What's, you know, what's going on? How's it feel to be locked down all this time and not see your friends? Uh, you'll get a lot more results later in the day. 
So interesting now, because now that I'm thinking about it, I I do think that's a time when we have some of our best conversations. I'm really curious to know what your thoughts are on everything going on with USA Gymnastics and and Dr. Larry Nasser, because I really feel for these girls' parents. They, They trusted the team doctor and who could blame them not knowing what was going on. Do you think there's anything the parents could have done to help their kids or should, should they have been present? What, what do you think? It, 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 it look, they, these were these extraordinarily high powered uh, sort of representatives of the, you know, Olympic operation saying, Hey, your daughter needs this. She wanted to be a champion. She does. This is what she's going to need. She's got to be stretched out the way I'm telling you. And it, it's such, it was such a ruse. No one, no one questioned it. I can't imagine though, that many of the parents didn't have a feeling in their gut, like what you're going to do? What? How's that? Huh? And I would say it's a great learning opportunity to trust your gut and to speak up. Don't just assume just because people know what they're doing, that they're going to do the right thing. Well, I also think it's a function of the culture. I was a competitive figure skater for 13 years and very similar culture, very, you know, intense, rigorous, Mm -hmm. what, you know, especially at the Olympic level, I have friends of mine who are Olympians. The parents aren't playing the same role as normal parents. Mm -hmm. They, the coaches become parents. And I'm, I'm personally waiting for ice skating to blow up in the same way that gymnastics has, because it's a very similar culture and there is very similar things happening. Mm. Wow. The three core principles that you really want to get across to people again, are trust compassion, and boundaries. And can we explore those three a little bit? What are the main messages you want people to know about those? Let's talk about where that came from. So TCB started because I've been obsessed with Elvis Presley since the third grade. <laughs> and he had his his Memphis Mafia, which was like his pack of friends, his groupies. And they were all gifted TCB necklaces that were gold necklaces with lightning bolts. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the third grade and I first started reading Elvis biographies, I was like, I need a TCB necklace. And so I got one for Christmas the next year and I wore it for 10 years and I pray to Elvis before anything important. So that's where TCB came from. But in this context, trust, compassion, and boundaries. We converted it. We converted (laughs) it. It comes from deep in my heart, uh, TCB, take care of business. Um, But trust is the ability to feel safe in a relationship. It is something that must be earned and it can be rebuilt if it is disrupted. Um, And ultimately it does take a leap of faith to trust somebody. And so we really wanna start with trust as the foundation for a good relationship. And we we get into a bit, you know, people who've had their trust shattered from trauma, traumatic interactions, interpersonal relationships. And you know what it takes to get trust back. It's not a simple matter for people that are distrusting. Compassion is the ability to be open to the experiences of others without judgment or prejudice. Uh, it goes hand in hand with empathy. However, compassion without empathy can feel patronizing and empathy without compassion is impossible. So ultimately it's coming from a space of open-mindedness and also imagining how the other person feels. And finally, boundaries, uh, which are invisible protective lines around your feelings and your body that you create based on your experience. And man, boundaries are really the the thing that we come up, I would clinically at least come up again most. People don't have good boundaries. They don't. They've been traumatized. They've been exploited. There's a lot of narcissism, which violates boundaries. 
And so increasing an awareness and an appreciation of boundaries is a major task in relationships. And so we took this TCB concept and applied it to many, many, many different uh, interpersonal relations. So how should parents tell their kids how to establish their boundaries from a young age? I think the main way that we steamroll boundaries with children is by telling them, how about you hung, hug Uncle Johnny, kiss mm-hmm. Grandma Mo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. like, a child will tell you yes or no. And often when you get a no, it's like, no, 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 no. You love Uncle Johnny. Give him a hug. <laughs> yeah. And so ultimately I, I um, have a lot of experience babysitting and I found that kids are very firm in, in their personal boundaries as children in that if you, if they don't want something, they will say no. Um, and it's, uh, it's up to the adult, the parent to really listen to their child and not steamroll through that. No. And, and keeping ourselves or our emotions out, it's hard, but we, it shouldn't, parenting shouldn't be about how, what we're feeling as parents, what we're experiencing. It's being available to reflect the experiences of the children. Do you think it's easier for parents to communicate with their child of the same sex than it is for them to communicate with the child of the opposite sex? Not necessarily, no. no. It's just different. It's I different. feel like I had a much easier time talking to my dad than my mom. Yep. And I think the boys talk to my mom, to their mom more than me. Really? Why do you think yeah. that is? I, it's just us. I don't know. It's just the way it played out. I'm... I wonder if it's because mom and I had ice skating. And so it was too intense. It, it was, was too close, too close. I, 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 I kind of feel like, um, your mom did a pretty good job with the boys with the condom conversation. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what, and that's what got it going. She's like, do you see what these are? There's a giant box downstairs in the bathroom. If you and your friend needs them, they're here. Oh, she never told me that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kept to the chase. I guess that works. Yeah, really. Yeah. What are the messages you'd like to pass on for parents in terms of having the conversation about alcohol use and substance use or abuse? Uh, you, you know, people get very strange in terms of when they want to have those conversations, but I don't think you can have the conversation soon enough. Uh, you have it, you know, as soon as they can understand the concept of taking a substance, I like think kindergarten, first grade, second grade, uh, and it, no different than, you know, seatbelts or mm-hmm. bike safety or you know, anything else. It's just, it's just a matter of fact and be merry matter of fact. And the, the really important thing is if you have uh, alcoholism or addiction in first degree relatives, you've got to start talking about, look, we have this disease in our family. And if you start exposing yourself to these things early, you have a much higher probability of activating that disease. And we don't want to see that happen. And I kind of, uh, I felt it was important to also have a harm reductionist approach in terms of how kids can navigate substances if they do choose to. And, um, you know, we, we have, you know, certain steps like set your intention before you go out. Uh, stay in touch with your own body, check in with yourself at least every 30 minutes, uh, know who's on your team and list a group of friends and check in with each other and make sure that, you know, one another are practicing TCB. Uh, but ultimately TCB is disrupted by using substances. Yeah, that, that was the other point we were making, which is if you look at every unwanted health outcome for an adolescent, whether it's accidents or STDs or unwanted pregnancy, or fights, or you name the you name the unwanted health outcome, 
you always find alcohol. And so you've got to really make that super duper clear. Our show is called Nobody Told Me. So at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So for both of you, what would you say is the one thing that nobody told you about having the talk and relationships and consent that you wish that they had because it would have saved you guys from some hard times during your own development? Yeah. Uh, God, nobody told me anything. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, in fact, that's why I got interested in that. I, I had, we tell the story in the book. I, I had a, uh, a depressive episode with panic attacks and I went down to the student health services my first year in college and they treated me like, like there was something like, you know, I need, you need to get your crap together, man. Just take long walks in the woods. Just get it together, dude. What's wow. wrong with you? And nobody told me what a panic attack was. Nobody told me what mood disturbances were. And, and there was no adolescent health care that, that didn't exist at the time. And so my, you know, got me like, I didn't want anybody else to go through that. It got me kind of interested in mental health. It definitely got me interested in helping with young people, their development and their special needs. So yeah, nobody told me anything. Mm-hmm. So, how about Paulina, how about me? you? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking more uh, ideas surrounding consent that I feel like needed to be highlighted more. Like that silence is not consent. A million no's and one yes is not consent. And ultimately, consent can be rescinded at any point during a sexual encounter. I think really internalizing those ideas empowers someone to say no and mean it and retract at any point that they feel uncomfortable. Uh, I wish that someone had told me that because uh, I would have gotten out of a lot of coercive situations. Amen. (laughs) We're on the same page. And how can people connect with you two on social media and the internet? I am at mizpiggy111 on all social media. And my website is paulinapinski.com. Yeah, drdrew.com for me is most stuff. And pretty much everything is Dr. Drew, except for Instagram, which is Dr. Drew Pinsky. All right, great. Well, we thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. And I just know that somebody is going to hear this, and maybe a lot of somebody's are going to hear this, and, and it's going to help them. We, we, we think it will. We, we are pretty happy with how the book turned out. And if people you know, want to sort of uh, get the conversation going and make sure their kids are sort of thinking about keeping things healthy, just throw it out on your coffee table and let them read it. And uh, you might be surprised what comes back. Plus, it's so pretty. <laughs> That's a great that idea. Really and just the yeah. format of it. I think the the father-daughter approach is so interesting and hearing your your takes on it. Yeah. I, I loved it. I love I loved it too. Well, we thank you thank both you. so, so very much. Our thanks to Dr. Drew Pinsky and his daughter, Paulina Pinsky. And again, their book is called, It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward, Dealing with Relationships, Consent, and other hard-to-talk-about stuff. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.